Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Before we get started today and dive into the issues of the day, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge the fact that today, uh, when we are recording here anyway, um, is the 19th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and um, a somber day we must never forget. It is uh, acknowledged uh, in a somber, respectful fashion all over this country. Uh, One thing that we always should keep in mind is we should never uh, be distracted. As George W. Bush said, we should be ever vigilant. Um, And that is particularly noteworthy at this point in time in in the year 2020 because if if ever there was a year of distraction it would be now and the people that want to bring down you and i and our glorious way of life here in the west um can certainly uh it would make sense to me to exploit um the distraction that is going on in this country with the COVID-19 situation, impeachment, uh, elections, uh, rioting in the streets. It is very, very easy for one to let their guard down or be distracted, and we must not do that. And I personally have full faith in uh, the powers that be to continue to protect us um, and our country and our way of life from people that um, do not like our way of life and they hate us and uh, we are the great Satan uh, in, or in, in, in their eyes and this is, um, this is something that we should never forget uh, while we are discussing and educating ourselves on the issues of the day that are right in front of us. Unfortunately, um, the reality is that uh, the people that did that or the entities that did that 19 years ago are no less um, determined to bring us down and we must be very vigilant. So we, uh, our prayers are with the family members and of, uh, and friends of people lost on that day, 19 years ago. And we acknowledge it here at reshaping America. What I would like to do today is, um, a little hesitant to do this. I, I, I have not, um, poured over the COVID numbers on air and uh, disseminated those because quite frankly, you can lose people very quickly when you uh, go over numbers on the radio. People's eyes tend to glaze over and they tend to tune out. And uh, I never would want to do that for obvious reasons. But um, it is interesting when you look for actual uh, mortality rates, percentages, um, very difficult to find. And, um, you know, I, I know we're all busy, but, um, when you do a simple Google search, it's pretty amazing what comes up when you look, when you just plug in, what are the percentages uh, of uh, mortality, uh, in, uh, of, of COVID-19, um, patients. Um, you, you certainly get a lot of, um, rates of uh, people that are infected in various states, and and those states um, coincidentally haven't happened to uh, correlate with uh, some of the battleground states. But um, I digress. But anyway, y- you will get <clears throat> a number of infection rates 
on an hourly basis almost, but mortality, uh, death from the COVID-19 virus is, um, is something that you have to dig a little bit deeper for. And when you do see it, you still don't get percentages, which you and I and the average um, non-scientist out there can relate to. Just give me how many 80-year-olds die of this, the percentage who contract this virus, or how many 60-year-olds, or as it pertains to this abject nonsense that's going on in municipalities all over the country, how many children actually die when they um, get the virus. And and that one, um, that statistic that I will give in a little bit will make you fall off your chair. Um, but you cannot find, you look for the first 10, 12 searches, you cannot find a simple percentage. You will eventually find um, this many out of that many, and, and it'll give a lot of convoluted ancillary information that will confuse you, um, most of which uh, you will get uh, the, the first number of Google uh, searches that you do will be CDC related. Um, the CDC, uh, I'm not going to throw them under the bus totally, but they have um, their government entity, let's face it. They have uh, backpedaled, if you will, on certain numbers going out and the way people calculate uh, causes of death. And if you know anything about cause of death, uh, aside from COVID-19, a, a cause of death oftentimes is very difficult to determine. It is up um, a lot of times uh, to the person that is signing that death certificate and oftentimes, uh, as we have seen with uh, political footballs such as this, people interject a lot of policy, uh, politics into um, a simple death certificate just to gain political advantage here or there. And that, that's absolutely criminal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, it probably is literally criminal. But um, anyway, we... Uh, we digress again, but uh, this article, you know, th this goes into why we should be very careful with the things that we read. Um, this article is from the Detroit Free Press. It says, no, the CDC did not quietly adjust U.S. coronavirus deaths. And I'll just uh, read a few paragraphs here, but this is in response to um the CDC adjusting their U.S. COVID deaths from 153,504, this was as of uh, last week, down to 9,200, a 94% uh, a drop. And um, at first blush, um, this article asserts that um, the Trump campaign and his surrogates were engaged in... Um, in uh, inaccurate dissemination uh, or interpretation, if you will, of these numbers. And I think that's, you know, somewhat true. However, this article goes into swinging wildly the other way. Uh, and this author, Daniel Funk, fashions himself as a, uh, uh, a representative of PolitiFact. Um, all these entities are now coming up uh, and, and joining forces with 
information disseminators, if you will. And these information disseminators heretofore have been so obviously biased in one way or another and fast and loose with the truth that they feel that they have to um, come up with a, a department or which probably consists of one or two people that are fact checkers. And now we're supposed to bow at the feet of uh, Daniel Funk or whomever is a fact checker. You put fact checker on your resume, boy, you better you better uh, part the Red Sea, right? And these fact checkers um, emerged because, um, again, hate him or love him. Donald Trump pushes back. And when he feels that he is uh, misquoted, misrepresented, uh, uh, maligned, he doesn't sit on his hands like your average uh, Republican, and that's why they hate him. And we will kind of get to that a little bit later in the show. We have new listeners all the time that need to be, I guess, kind of educated by uh, by me, whatever that's worth. And I will tell you very clearly why people hate Donald Trump, and it is not the reasons that you may think uh, they hate him. But anyway... Um, this article goes on to say that um, uh, these posts um, by surrogates of Donald Trump are very misleading. They claim that um, the uh, they they um, they quote this gentleman, Amiri King. Um, it said uh, CDC just backpedaled quietly and adjusted the U.S. COVID deaths from 153 to 9200. 153,504 to 9,200 said Amiri King, a social media influencer and CBD salesman. They have to throw that in there. Um, I, I think I would be tempted if I was debating somebody to throw in that they were a CBD salesman as well. But um, on August 31st, the post shows a screenshot of King's tweet, which was quickly deleted. Um, and he uh, takes the CDC to task um, for uh, adjusting their numbers a whopping 94%. Now, this article says that, hold on, that's not quite true. That's misleading. Let me educate you, um, says the political fact checker here. And he goes on to talk about comorbidities. And for those of you that are not in medicine, it's a pretty simple concept. A comorbidity is is um, another thing on board a patient may have uh, a pre uh, a pre existing condition, um, cancer, diabetes, uh, heart disease, uh, CHF, any of these things, which could very well contribute to the cause of death. Now the the article does point that out. And I think the article gets it right, saying that you cannot say that the CDC just radically missed it by 94%. And um, every single death um, that they chronicled should be purely COVID-19 and nothing else. However, <clears throat> the article goes on to say some things that are... Um, that swing a little too far the other way. Um, the article says in medicine, comorbidities are conditions that patients experience in tandem with a primary condition. According to the CDC, people with pre-existing conditions 
like cancer and diabetes, are more at risk of death if they contract the virus. Now, that is true. Um, the NCH um, report, this is a national um, health statistic reporting uh, entity, shows that the vast majority of cor- coronavirus-related deaths occur in patients with comorbidities. But that does not mean COVID-19 wasn't a factor. Okay, to this point, this is somewhat true. However, this is where you have to be careful what you read and who writes it and what their agenda is. The next paragraph says, um, however, it is also clear that advanced age and several other underlying diseases led to bad outcomes with COVID infections. That is true. The people dying were not going to die, but for the acquisition of COVID. Now, that is not true. You cannot have it both ways, and that's what people tend to do. That's why you have to, unfortunately, uh, there's only 24 hours in a day. You have to do your homework. You have to understand what is happening when people write articles like this. Is it true that um, these other uh, comorbidities combined with the COVID virus um, can certainly spell the end for many people. Yes, you can say that, but you cannot go as far the other side and say the people dying were not going to die, but for the acquisition of COVID. That is ridiculous. Uh, If anybody has ever walked through an ICU in a hospital I'm telling you, if you have compromised lungs, if you have a compromised heart, if you have uh, compromised kidneys, these are things that are extraordinarily serious. And to say that COVID came along, tipped that person over the edge 100% of the time is absolutely ridiculous. So the article goes into um, slapping people around saying, hey, the CDC didn't miss it by 94%. Let me tell you why. Let me talk about comorbidities. And that is true and that's accurate. However, you cannot categorically state that all of these people um, that died, um, died because of the acquisition of COVID. You can't. They Many of them would have died a week later or a month later um, because they're simply very, very sick individuals. Um, The article concludes with a ruling. Now, when the PolitiFact fact checker at whatever entity entity comes up with a ruling, well, I guess that's it then. We really can't talk about anything anymore. And some guy or gal, I don't know what their pedigree is, but they've come up with a ruling at the end of all this um, hyperbole. And they say that the Facebook claims and the tweets of those that ignorantly and um, unintelligently just tweeted out, CDC got it wrong, 94% um, uh, inaccuracy or whatever they say, um, their ruling was that is ridiculous. Um, But they leave you with the impression that just because you have a comorbidity and you get COVID-19, that that should be counted as a COVID-19 death. And in my opinion, I am not a medical doctor. 
But I think that's foolish. Um, and, and take all of these things aside, we, we've discussed some legitimate medical uh, pre-existing conditions, um, end-stage renal failure and, and uh, heart failure and all of the, these other things. But you know, nobody's really talking too much about people that um, died in motorcycle accidents that COVID-19 was listed on their um, death certificate. Um, death certificates um, should be something that we should try as hard as we can to get it right, um, at the least for the loved ones that are left behind. But using death certificates to further a political agenda is really, really ghoulish. And um, I think this article gets it right. But I think their end conclusion that that gulf of, you know, roughly 144,000 individuals that had numerous comorbidities, I think to say that they would have died, they died because of COVID-19 is not only a bit of a stretch, I, I think it is just absolutely wrong. Um Again, this this national entity um, that is uh, the National Institute of Health Statistics, um, it says, uh, I'll, I'll conclude here, uh, the report found that 6% of Americans who die from the virus is the only condition listed on their death certificate. But that doesn't mean that the remaining 94% didn't die due to the coronavirus. Um well, if you want to say that, it doesn't mean that they did die of the coronavirus either. That 94% is a very large chunk of people. And um, when uh, this entity, this fact checker says that when we question that incredibly large number of people, 143,000, um, it says here that... Um, it's a ridiculous claim that we, um, you know, assert <clears throat> that those numbers could be um, wildly inaccurate. And I don't think that's a ridiculous claim. I think it is a reasonable claim to question those um, the 143,000 uh, people. Uh, did they actually die of coronavirus? Now, you know, th this is the game that we play another article I read that was very even handed, not quite as um, nowhere near as, as bad as the one I just did. This says what changing death rates tell us about COVID-19. And the first paragraph pretty much tells you everything you need to know of how subjective and political this issue is. Um, this is from last week. It says, from the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, estimates of COVID-19 deaths have been all over the map. They have ranged from less than 1% to as much as 25%, um, depending on what country or municipality or state you happen to be in. Um, there's a gentleman, his name is Amesh Adalia. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is a... Uh, an infectious disease specialist at Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Scrutiny. Um, certainly someone that I would uh, think is a little bit more credible than the uh, fact checker um, in the last article. But anyway, he said 
in uh, reference to um, this, it looks like now that the fatality rate of a person who gets infected with this virus on average is about six times that of the seasonal flu. To educate you, the seasonal flu kills 0.1% of those that it um, afflicts. Not 1%, So. The coronavirus here to date um, in the United States is killing 0.6% of the individuals that it is afflicting. Is that 0.6% too many? Of course it is. Does it strain anybody's logic to, to want to shut down and destroy economies, ways of life? and the health and welfare of millions and millions and millions of Americans for 0.6% um, death rate from this, um, anybody on the left or right would have to come to the conclusion that it certainly is not. Um, so he says, it's a small percentage of the world's population that is susceptible to this virus, Adelia um, said. So, um, let me cut to the chase here with this particular article. It, it ends with some numbers. And again, as I wrap around to where I started with this earlier, um, try to get some very, very, very simple numbers of, of the people that are afflicted with this virus. What is the percentage of people that die? And just, you know, if you're 40 or 60 or 80 or you have children, uh, I think you might want to know that um, if you send them back to school or if you're elderly and you don't want to go into Costco or if you're anything in between and you would just like to have a beer with your friends at a football game. I, I think you would like to find that information out. Uh, all of the other um nitty gritty uh, percentages and comorbidities and, and scholarly white papers by people at Johns Hopkins are, are very interesting to um, some people, myself, but the vast majority of people don't have the time or the proclivity to pour through these things. And, and they really are not that interested. They just want to know when can we get out from under the bed and conduct our lives as Americans? And please don't lie to us about this virus in order to bury Donald Trump. And that, that is a, a refrain that is not categorically on the right. That is, um, as I've said on this show several times, that is a refrain of a lot of thoughtful, non-rabid, non-crazy leftist Democrats out there. And these are the people that I hope will push Donald Trump over the top in two months as far as re-election is concerned. It's not his base. Um, it's certainly not the um, the rabid left that are burning cars. Um, although if they continue with their anarchy, that only helps Donald Trump. But it is the thoughtful, moderate Republicans, and probably more accurately, particularly in uh, union enclaves and Rust Belt states um, of thoughtful Democrats that they're not down with burning cars. They're not down with shooting cops. They, they would just like to know when they can get out from under the bed. 
They would like to know when they can go back to work. They would like to go on a job interview without a mask and not virtually. They just want to conduct their lives. So people like that, and and I'm included in that category, most of our listening audience is, they simply want some numbers. And it is, in my opinion, extraordinarily purposeful on the part of the powers that be that disseminate information, Google, Facebook, um, many of these leftist organizations, to keep you in the dark and beat the drum beat and clang the cymbals when this state or that municipality's um, number of COVID-19 infections rises on a day or a week or whatever. But those are the same individuals that cannot print a very simple explanation of how many people out of 100,000 are getting this and dying of it. That's what we need to know. Um, are the ramifications of, of getting it and not dying, are, are they there? Should we concern ourselves with them? Yes, we certainly should. But we would be remiss or, or silly to think that it doesn't keep you and I under the bed by saying you get, you might get really sick with this, but there's a very high percentage that you'll recover with no long-term deleterious effects. That doesn't keep you under the bed. Death keeps you under the bed. The prospect of if you go to Costco and you get this, you could die. That is what is keeping you and I under the bed and is what keeping our children at home. And when you hear these statistics about children, you should contact your school board member immediately. Um, I have uh, I have listened uh, painfully through many, many a school board meeting. And um, when they simply say that uh, when and if these kids come back, if one kid has the coronavirus, we're shutting it all down for a very extended period of time. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. And the fact that they're not in school is insane from a scientific standpoint. So we're going to, we're going to put the statistics or the science aspect of this show to bed um, with these sobering statistics. And I, I don't mean sobering in a gloom and doom way. I mean, sobering in a, you should be really, really angry when you hear these statistics and, and then juxtapose those statistics with what has happened in this culture. Anyway, let's start with, um, the group that is, um, most susceptible to actually dying once they get the coronavirus and that is elderly people. Now, um, again, this is a game as well. Um, if you listen to AARP or you listen to your average leftist, elderly is 50 years old. Um, we all know uh, through health, wellness, uh, and the pharmaceutical industry, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, um, people live a lot longer. They're a lot more vigorous and virile at 70 or 80 than they once were. So elderly is, a, again, a term that is used uh, to one's advantage if they want to uh, pull the wool over your eyes. But let's look at real numbers. Um, 80 years old. How about that? Um, out of 100,000 people, if you uh, contract the coronavirus 
8,000 people will die. That in mathematical terms is 8%. Now I could, I could be on the right or on the left with this and spin it one way or another, but let me just play it like it is. 92% of 80 year olds, it's a pretty old person that get the coronavirus will not die from it. However, I will say 8% or 8,000 people out of 100,000 is a significant number. And as I have said, and as many thoughtful people um, that know a lot more about this than I have said for months, to segregate those individuals um, and be very, very cautious with those individuals is a smart thing. Um, this 8% is uh, fairly high. It certainly would not be as high if certain blue states um, had very quickly realized that these people have to be segregated, particularly from, from uh, people that have the virus. Um, the carnage and the, the just abject hubris and stupidity of um, uh, Governor Cuomo and other individuals, uh, Governor Wolf, um, I can't imagine how many lawsuits are, are going to be out there for these poor old people in nursing homes that were just watching the Grim Reaper come through the doors as they um, brought infected people into many of these nursing homes. And it's certainly not the nursing home's fault. And, and uh, Governor Cuomo, ever the one to shift blame, is blaming in the insurance companies, the greedy and um, nursing home industry. These people, as we've chronicled on this show, were very ill prepared for one reason and one reason only. Um, uh, governor Cuomo and, and other um, governors in other states did not give these folks a lot of time to properly uh, segregate COVID-19 positive patients from other patients. And many of these nursing homes were absolutely blighted. So in no, in no doubt, those numbers could have been um, dramatically lower if our leaders uh, use their brain cells. And in some states, and they are categorically blue states, they are not uh, red states. Um, and just look at the mortality rate among older people in uh, Florida. And uh, then you'll see uh, how one governor did it right and another governor did it really, really wrong. So back to the percentages, 8% of 80-year-olds um, die when they get it. I think that's significant, but I think we can do a very, we've done a very good job of, of segregating everybody to the detriment of this economy and many, many other things. We could certainly segregate some old people and ask them to lay low. And I think they would comply, you know, very, um, very quickly. Let's go down the list. Um, 60, now, again, AARP and people that want to use this as a political um, issue are uh, going to say 60 years old is elderly. Well, I don't think it is, but let's just say 60 is, um, you know, you're at risk. Okay. Of 100,000 people that um, contract the virus, 680 will die at the in that age group of 60 from the virus that is 0.68%. That is not even anywhere near 
90% of the people afflicted with the virus will die from the virus. That is absolutely low. Let's take it down to 40. Um, so we just said 680 people out of 100,000 will die when you're at age 60. Let's take it down to age 40. Um, age 40 are many of the people that make this country work. They work hard. They work long. They are in the service industry. They are in all industries. Uh, I, I think 40 is a nice sweet spot for productivity and, and many, many things that, that help our culture in a thousand different ways. And many of these 40 year olds are being told to stay under the bed don't go here. Don't go there. Don't come into work. Um, if you can work remotely, that's fine. If you can't, we'll just, you know, we'll suffer. Of people 40 years old, 60 individuals out of 100,000 individuals that contract the coronavirus will die. 60 out of 100,000. The percentage there where you just can't find the percentages because it's very simple to look at a percentage. You just can't find this when you look for information. 0.06. Let me say that again. 0.06. Okay, let's go to the last group of individuals. And this is where you really should see red and you should quote this statistic. And uh, for those of you that want to quote this statistic to your school board member or whomever, um, this is from Gideon Meyerwitz Katz. He is an epidemiologist at the University of Wollongong in Australia. Um, so this, this is what he puts out. So if you need a reference for that, then you can do that. Um, children. It just has one broad category of children. I presume that is um, 18 or under. I don't know, but uh, it just says children. Of children that contract the coronavirus, five kids will die out of 100,000 children. Now, are five deaths from the coronavirus from uh, anybody's kid, and particularly if it's your kid, um, horrible beyond comprehension. Yes, of course it is. But 999,995 other children that contract this will not die. Um, these are some staggeringly low percentages of mortality among children. Uh, I believe it's 0 0.0005. It's, it's almost incalculably low. It is minuscule. Yet, um, because of blue state governors and mayors and leaders of municipalities, our children are forced to be educated virtually from home. And that, that is wrought with many, many problems as well. So um, there you have the numbers. Um, do with them what you want, but but I think um, refute them. Go check out this um, Gideon Meyerwitz Katz gentleman. Um, you want to get other numbers that that's iron sharpens iron, right? That's what you should do. However, um, I think one thing that is irrefutable is when you go to search for simple numbers, percentages of people that have died from the coronavirus 
and take it down into whatever demographic demographic you may be in or you may be interested in, it's very hard to get very simple information on this. And I think that's conspicuous. I'll just leave it at that. Um, next issue, uh, we're kind of dovetailing um, away from the coronavirus into politics. But um, in my estimation, the coronavirus now is about 95% political and about 5% in the realm of science. So um, this is, uh, this. I don't know if this gets more in the category of gaffe or this gets more in the category of uh, fear and sensationalism. I don't know. With Joe Biden, you never know. But Joe Biden claims thousands in the military have died of the coronavirus. Now, um, I don't know if you're a conservative, I, I think, or a Republican, um, I think that you should be heartened that these stories that are coming out fast and furiously in the last two months of the campaign are stories that um, heretofore did not need to be invented because Donald Trump, uh, according to the polls, was doing pretty poorly. But I think that if you believe these polls, there is a resurgence of, of Donald Trump's uh, steam um, coupled with Joe Biden um, doing what Joe Biden probably was going to do when you put him out on the camp train, campaign trail, which is screw up. Um, I think it has spawned a number of different crazy articles um, about Trump um, knowing that the virus is deadly and keeping it under his hat or Trump saying derogatory things uh, about the military when the facts really pan out that Donald Trump has probably been the most um, pro-military of, of any president in recent history. Um, but this uh, claim by VP Biden was Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden claimed the military has suffered thousands of deaths due to the coronavirus, but government data shows only seven service members have died. Military COVID infected 118,984, Biden said during an event in Warren, Michigan this week. Military COVID deaths 6,114. Department of Defense data shows there have been just 40,026 cases of the coronavirus within the military and seven deaths. Let me state that mathematically again. 40,000 cases, seven deaths. And the military, again, is always been a political football um, an entity that has been slapped around um, by Democrats, and and um, it, it is just shameful. The, the the men and women that protect the rights and liberties and and free speech and abilities for many of these politicians to enrich themselves in this country are routinely maligned and used um, uh, in a bad way by Democrats, and this is no exception. Now. The Biden campaign, and I, I don't know how much these people make, but they must have to make a lot to keep up with Joe Biden's gaffes. And if Joe Biden was um, virile and vigorous and young and youthful and he was traversing the country, their salary would probably have to go up exponentially. But the fact that he's shelved for the most part 
is uh, is a good thing for them. Um, but anyway, uh, Biden's campaign quickly addressed the numbers, saying the former vice president mixed up Michigan coronavirus statistics with the military. Now, that's a lose-lose for Biden right there. Um, and I know um, politicians do forget what state they're in sometimes. It's, it's a very rough go on the campaign trail. But um, they fast and furiously said that, oh, no, um, Joe didn't mean that. He he messed up the numbers. Either way, when the word on the street is that you're losing it, you don't really want to quote numbers like that and, and screw up that poorly. Um, but this is what he did. And um, they had to uh, they had to backpedal on him, but you know, or, or for him. But again, if you're in the military or you're a family that has um, people in the military, and you happen to be a Democrat, and you're whipped up, you're emotional, your your loved one is being shot at uh, in some foreign country. And you hear 118,000 deaths, or excuse me, infections, and 6,000 of the military have died. You get angry. You get whipped up. You you tag that to the current commander in chief, and you can't unring a bell in the mind of many people. And um, the fact that Joe Biden was wrong, and he may have used those numbers purposely, that might compute with you or I, but that may be enough for a number of people that are military families that happen to be Democrat, that they read that statistic or hear that statistic and say, yeah, Donald Trump's an idiot. I'm, I'm not voting for him. So these things are done purposely. Uh, his campaign asserts that he just kind of screwed up, but I don't necessarily think, um, that is the case. Uh, next article, and this is over in the UK. So, you know, uh, you could say that it doesn't pertain to us, but there's been plenty of stories in the United States about um, municipalities being extraordinarily heavy handed on business and people that just want to um, work and are, are tired of being told to jump under the bed and we'll call you when it's all over. This is British police could break up Christmas parties over a new rule. Prime Minister Boris Johnson unveiled a new six person cap on most social gatherings that could remain in place through the Christmas season in an attempt to control the coronavirus transmission without closing schools or enforcing more economic paralysis. So the good news is they haven't lost their minds totally and kids are going to school over there as opposed to what's happening in the United States. The bad news is um, the next statement. You must not meet socially in groups of more than six. And if you do, you will be breaking the law, Johnson said during a press conference Wednesday. It will be enforced by the police and anyone breaking the rules or risk being dispersed uh, is a, is of risk of being dispersed, fined, and possibly arrested. First violators face a fine of 100 pounds, or that's 130 bucks, a penalty that increases for repeat offenders, which could go as high as $4,100. Um, 
So Johnson uh, demurred when asked if the police means um, if this policy means that Christmas now is effectively canceled, noting that hopes to roll out a pregnancy style test with rapid results that people could take each morning um, are still kind of up in the air. You know, he, he gives a very flippant answer to that. He says, like in his family, there's five people and they can gather for Christmas um, because it's under six. But if your family happens to have six people, you're out of luck. I mean, that's <laughs> that's insane. What does grandma sit out in the cold on the porch? Um, it, it's just it's just an amazing world we live in. So I thought I would let you know um, what's going on. Uh, there's your international um, news update. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's go over to politics in the remaining minutes we have, although everything I just said was political, right? Um, this article, Trump announces list of potential Supreme Court nominees, and I won't dive too deeply into this, but of interest to me, was um, uh, a couple of paragraphs in the article um, where, you know, Donald Trump, love him or hate him. I do say that a lot, don't I? Love him or hate him. Um, With the political, uh, or excuse me, with the um, judge, the, the nominees, the judicial nominations that he has done. Speak much, Kurt. The judicial nominations that he has done um, from dog catcher all the way up to Supreme Court have been nothing less than um, uh, stellar. Uh, he has, um, and and that that is why numbers in the Senate mean something, right, ladies and gentlemen? Um, he has uh, nominated and pushed through and gotten approved several hundred um very fine nominees uh, to judicial positions, as I said, from um, local municipalities all the way, or from you know federal all the way up to uh, the Supreme Court. So, um, in my opinion, in attempt to continue to shore up his base, which you know, I guess if you're as infatigable as Donald Trump, you could spend more time. Um, whipping up your base. I think your base is pretty solid. I think what you got to go after, as I've said several times, is that 10% of Republicans and Democrats that may not necessarily like you too much. Uh, they may not necessarily be, you know, rabid conservatives, but they, they are definitely, as we all are, into safety and security. Uh, I, I think you spend more time currying favor with them. And, and, as infatigable as he is, I think he, you know, probably does have the time to do this and and court both uh, political uh, constituency groups, if you will. But this is clearly, to me, um, more shoring up of the base. And, and you know, maybe it is um, appealing to uh, other individuals that may not be uh, that interested in Supreme Court nominees because... Um, what are Supreme Court nominees? People that uh, rule on if something is constitutional or not, and co- the Constitution is based on the laws of the land, or the laws of the land are based on the Constitution, whatever way you want to look at it. And we have a, a fair amount of lawlessness going on out there. So I don't know, maybe this announcement uh, of some 
pretty conservative potential Supreme Court nominees if Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, is not on the bench anymore or uh, Justice Breyer or, or some others. Um, you know, maybe it's a good move. But wh- why I printed this article on Reddit is um, I happen to um, like the policies of uh, Ted Cruz. And um, I often think that Ted Cruz could do much more for the conservative cause than represent the state of Texas and do what he does in the Senate, which he does do a very good job. I I think he would be a, a very good um, Supreme Court justice. He's relatively young, and that would be a, an excellent move for Donald Trump. And and you know, let's let's talk brass tacks here. You know, Donald Trump. And I'm not going to get into it too much because my blood pressure gets up when I do really, really, really um, laced into Ted Cruz um, quite a bit in the Republican um, uh, the primary in 2015 and 16 um, to the point where he really insulted his family and did some things that I consider extraordinarily across the line. So I don't know. Maybe um, Ted Cruz endorsing Donald Trump begrudgingly eventually in 2016 and and much of the fine work that Ted Cruz um, has done for Donald Trump in the past couple of years. Maybe that's a quid pro quo for um, a Supreme Court, um, you know, justice uh, nomination. I don't know. But um, the article here says um, many of these senators, uh, Tom Cotton, one of them, um, but uh, Josh Hawley, um, but Ted Cruz says um, in response to uh, being on, on a very short list of potential nominees Donald Trump put out, I am grateful for the president's confidence in me and for his leadership in nominating principled constitutionalists to the federal bench over the past four years. Now, the next couple lines are are um, conspicuously political. Um, that's, you know, I, I have interviewed Senator Santorum many times before he put his hat in the ring uh, years back to be the president. And I said, what's in your political future? And, you know, even the good ones, um, double, triple and quadruple speak and they, they speak for a while and say nothing. So the next couple of lines are, are more of that. Um, it says, I've been proud to help confirm to the bench over 200 of President Trump's judicial nominees, including two to the Supreme Court. It is humbling and an immense honor to be considered for the Supreme Court, Cruz said in a statement. Um, I have been blessed to lead the fight to preserve our constitutional liberties every day, to defend the rights of 29 million Texans, and I look forward to continuing to do so for many years to come. The statement continues. Now, that's a that's a non-statement statement. That's not like some of the others that said, I'm not interested. Um, uh, Josh Hawley uh, said, no interest in becoming a member of the Supreme Court. Um, I look forward to confirming Trump's nominees, but I have no interest. Um, Tom Cotton went on and um, was the complete opposite of Josh Hawley, saying, um, I would go after a Supreme Court abortion precedent established in Roe v. Wade 
which established a constitutional right to abortion, it's time for Roe v. Wade to go, um, Tom Cotton said. So here's Tom Cotton saying, basically, yeah, let me add him. I'll do it. Um, Josh Hawley says not interested. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Senator Cruz, a very seasoned politician, kind of says blah, 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 and says nothing. He says he's very, um, and I respect him. Um, no, no offense at the blah, 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 blah. Um, says, um, I'm looking forward to continuing to, uh, represent the, uh, the liberties of, of 29 million Texans, which he can certainly do as, as uh, a member of the Supreme court as well. So the, the, uh, statements are kind of bulletproof and they don't really, um, commit him and he doesn't say categorically now nah, take my name out of the hat I don't want to do that but he certainly leaves it open that if he was um, tapped on the shoulder by Donald Trump he certainly would um, I think serve um, again I, I saw an article the other day that the Senate is um, it could very well be about 50 50 and that's not good news uh, right now um, in essence it's 53 47 it's 53 45 and two independence caucus with the democrats um a couple of flips here or there and uh, the democrats have control of the senate and um if joe biden becomes president uh, i really don't think donald or uh, ted cruz is going to be tapped on the shoulder but if donald trump retains his presidency and something uh, uh an opening on the bench happens ted cruz could be um tapped on the shoulder and if he is and the senate is uh flipped and there is not a plurality of um republicans that's going to be more challenging for somebody like ted cruz to uh be nominated let me running out of time here let me just end with something that I kind of alluded to earlier. Um, we have new listeners all the time, so I have to restate this from time to time. Um, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, uh, the, the overarching question is why is he so hated um, by the left in general, but in, in specificity, um, the uh, the educational complex, the entertainment complex, the liberal media, um, his political foes. Why is he so hated by all of those entities? And and as the show winds down here, I will just give you my two cents. It is not because he's conservative. If you listen to Rush Limbaugh, if you listen to Donald Trump up until a short period of time ago, he did not even use the word conservative. And and through about 80 to 90% of the campaign in 2016, he never even talked about the Constitution. Um, are Donald Trump's executive orders conservative? Um, do they do damage to the left and their financial backers? Um, of course, um, they are. But this is a secondary reason to hate him. The primary reason that all of the aforementioned entities and several other people, constituents, if you will, uh, included, the primary reason that Donald Trump is hated is he fights like his opponents. Um, he is unlike any Republican before him um, who was, uh, he is unafraid to expose uh, people on the left 
for the frauds that they are and and the dissemination of untruths that they uh, that they try to get you and I to swallow. Um, he fights back and he fights like they do and they hate him for that. They prefer a political foe that um, barks a little bit, um, votes for the most part um, with the left on many things, compromises, reach across the aisle, whatever John McCain rhetoric you want to use, and then summarily shuts up and sits down regardless of uh, minority or majority status. So this is why they hate him because he simply does not do that. He is a new breed of Republican, if you will. And this is why they hate him rather than, oh, he's a conservative. That's why we hate him. They do hate him for that. But the primary reason is he fights like they do and they cannot stand that. This is Kurt Flewelling reshaping America until next week. Have a great day.